The following program was pre-recorded. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, joined in our virtual studio by community co-host Nick Burns. How you doing, Nick? I am well, actually. How are you? The weather is is starting to change in our favor. (laughs) Well, I had hummingbird at my feeder this morning, and I'm up here, you know, in the colder country, so that was exciting. It's break week at campus, although I'm still working. The students and faculty have a week off. I took a nice sunshine walk this morning, so I feel pretty good. And let's just forward promote. This is going to be a great hour of radioactive, and I'm excited about that, too. Absolutely, of course. Uh, When you say campus, folks, Nick also is with Salt Lake Community College. And uh, coming up on the show tonight, Nick, we got a bunch to go. We got a bunch. I know that you had a chance to talk with Amos Giora, who's a Mm -hmm. friend of Radioactive from the U of U Law School. Lots happening in Jerusalem. Everyone has seen the fights and the smoke bombs and the continued oppression of the Palestinian peoples across Gaza and elsewhere. That seems to be getting worse. I know you had a chance to chat with him. We're going to talk with Sim Gill. I haven't had a chance to to have our Salt Lake County District Attorney on Wednesday with me in quite a while, but uh, HB 237, the lethal force force amendments, say that five times, um, has now gone into effect and May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Want to talk about that. Also want to ask DA Gill about bail reform, which seems something that we tried in Utah and now we're not trying, but maybe we'll try it again. And it's a great big mess. Uh, Later on the show, though, going to talk with different groups and some environmental activists about 100 days of Joe Biden and how's he doing when it comes to the environment. Yes, we've got Heal Utah, the Sierra Club, and SUA, the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, all set to join us. But now rallies and resources with our volunteer, Natalie Benoy. Hey, Nat. Hey, Laura. So a few events coming up here, some that we've mentioned on the show before, but I wanted to hit again just for just for posterity's sake. So coming up on Friday, it's the deadline for the Utah Thrive 125 call for artists. Again, we've mentioned that on the show before, but the deadline is this Friday, May 12th. And there is some good amount of money to be paid out there for folks looking to submit their artwork for this celebration of Utah statehood. Um, Coming up on Saturday, if you haven't heard about this event so far, I think you've been living under a rock, but it is the return of the Living Traditions Festival this Saturday, May 15th from noon to 6 p.m. at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake. This is one of my favorite events that um, occurs in person in, in this city, and so I'm really happy to see it coming back this year. It's a little different, though. A little yep, slim, yep. slim down. Definitely some, you know, safety precautions and other other changes happening to the event just because of all the crazy stuff going on in the world, but at least it's in person. So we got that going for us. And successive weekends up through June 26th. So do check rallies and resources for that listing. In fact, it turns out we do have some time to share with you a sneak peek at Living Traditions, courtesy of the Salt Lake Arts Council and its Living Legacies program. Utah Punjabi Academy will be featured at 1 p.m. Saturday during Living Traditions at Washington Square. And here is a quick peek at what they do in our community and why. I am Keshav Saren. And I'm Leslie Saren. And we are from Utah Punjabi Arts Academy. 
we perform a North Indian folk dance called Bhangra. Our community wanted us to start an academy where we can promote, perform, and preserve this North Indian folk arts that is not present in Utah. There are various ways where they are exposed and introduced to an Indian culture, whether that's from the dance, the songs, the, the words, the language. Our goal is to, to show them uh, a rich and vibrant culture that exists in North India and, and introduce them to all aspects of, of folk arts. Punjab is, is, a, is an agricultural state. This dance was performed during the harvest season. This is a happy dance. This dance welcomes everybody, no matter where you're from, what age group, what gender you are. There are different genres of, of this dance. One is Giddha, which is predominantly a girl's dance, or, or Bhangra, that was done you know, mainly by men. There are other forms. Bhangra is really the dance that the farmers, it was done in celebration, and so all of these moves show vigor and vitality and strength. Whereas Gitta is more playful and sassy and graceful. Instruments are an important aspect of this musical culture. The drum is called toll, and it's a battle drum with two sides. Traditionally, you would put goatskin on each side. That drum is very popular in, in India across many different regions, not just Punjab. The drum drives the dance, uh, the rhythm, the Punjabi people have been strewn throughout the world, almost like a seed, right? And so whenever they've been, been planted, they've brought the dole and the culture. So we wanted to help plant the seed so that it could be then shared through the cultures here. We've been involved with living traditions uh, for the last 20 years. We are truly thankful for this opportunity, uh, not just for us, but also for the broader Salt Lake community to bring all these cultures and arts to the valley and, and expose people of Salt Lake to these vibrant cultures. I'm Leslie Saren. I'm Keshav Saren, and our living tradition is spreading happiness, joy, and a sense of community through Punjabi arts. And that's the Utah Punjabi Academy, which you can see this Saturday, 1 p.m., Washington Square during the Living Traditions Festival, Nat. Yep, all the details on the Rallies and Resources page. And one final event that you mentioned, Laura, coming up on Tuesday, May 18th. It's the Friends, Allies, and Mentors FAM, for short, Rally to Support LGBTQ Inclusions in Utah Schools. And that's Tuesday, May 18th at 5 p.m. at the Utah State Capitol. And did you want to talk a little bit more about that one, Laura? Yeah, we've got them coming up on the show on Friday with some educators and other allies to share their story. But basically, they want to send a clear message that LGBTQ plus students, families and educators deserve to be represented in Utah schools. So the rally is a chance to send a signal to Utah state legislators, school boards, where we've seen some interesting things with certain members and administrators showing that uh, we value diversity, inclusion 
I want basic human respect taught in our schools, according to the organizers of FAM. All right. Well, that's all I had for rallies and resources. And we'll hear more about that event on Radioactive later this week. And for the full list of rallies and resources and other events that you can get involved in, you can go to krcl.org, click on the Community Affairs tab, and click on Rallies and Resources to find all of these events and more. Thanks, Natalie Benoit. Thank you. Before we get to Salt Lake County DA Sim Gill, Nick, I wanted to share a conversation I had with Amos Giora. He's author of The Crime of Complicity, also professor up at the University of Utah S.J. Quinney College of Law, and he is on summer break back home in Jerusalem. And here's that conversation. I am in our home, which is uh, about 10 kilometers outside of Jerusalem. Uh, The rocket barrage that started this 48 hours ago, the 40 rockets directed towards Jerusalem. Uh, Some of the rockets actually landed by car five minutes from our house. And actually I was in a Zoom call at at that very time when all of a sudden the Iron Dome, the early warning system, the siren started. I said to people who I was Zooming with, I said, huh, give me a minute. And the next thing I knew, I loudly heard the booms, the rockets, because they really are literally five minutes from our house. Um, and that was Monday evening. Um, and they did not cause the 40 rockets aimed at Jerusalem didn't cause any harm. But since yesterday, being Tuesday morning here, local time, um, there's been a steady barrage of rockets directed both at southern Israel and at the cent- center of Israel. Last night, there was very significant rocket firing towards Tel Aviv. And tell in the suburbs of Tel Aviv, um, and also in southern Israel. Um, in response, you know, nothing goes unresponded to. Um, uh, the Israeli Air Force has attacked targets in Gaza. There have been a number of people killed, and I I think I mean the, the ultimate question that the government's going to have to decide in the next day or so, I would think, is whether or not. Um, to send ground troops into Gaza, I think, I think, and or whether they're just going to rely on this endless aerial, aerial. It's not aerial warfare; it's aerial attacks, right? Drone attacks or, or plane attacks. Um, there have been some targeted killings, what America would be called drone attacks, um, of high-level Hamas operatives, terrorists. There's also, also the inevitable um, tragic collateral damage. Um, but on the other hand, there are 850 rockets have landed inside Israel. And I can't imagine, uh, there's no government that would tolerate 850 rockets being fired into its territory. So take us back to Monday morning and what happened at the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. This is where it started again, correct? Right. Yeah. So that started on Thursday or Friday, the riots in East Jerusalem, which I think there are four factors that went into the riots in East Jerusalem. One is the cancellation of the Palestinian elections, which they were canceled, if you ask me, because the Palestinian Authority is well aware of the fact that if there were to be elections in the West Bank, Hamas would do stunningly well. And so Abu Mazen, the president of the Palestinian Authority, canceled the elections. I think that gave Hamas a sense that you know, there's victory in election and in, in, in cancellation because it obviously shows that that Abu Mazen is, is fearful of their power. 
Um, so I think that's issue one. Issue two, there's a very, very complicated court case um, regarding ownership of buildings in East Jerusalem. It would take us hours to untangle the, the web, but because land is such an inherent part of the conflict here, that court case, that court decision had elevated the pressure. Um, three, it was the end of Ramadan when, you know, the Holy of Holies for the Muslims. And four, a combination, there's a fourth, which has two parts to it. One is the Israeli police, if you ask me, um, engaged in heavy handedness. The best example is the throwing of the grenade into Al-Aqsa. Um, as you know, I served for 20 years in the IDF. I was the legal advisor of the Gaza Strip. Throwing a grenade, even if it's a stun grenade, uh, into a mosque is like, absolutely not. But, 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 but. I have to give you a background as to that. There were elections here in March, here being Israel. There were elections in March. We still don't have a government. Um, and Netanyahu had, by law, had 28 days to form a government. He failed. And now the other side has 28 days. And in many ways, um, I think he's just, he's the most Machiavellian of Machiavellians. Uh, he was interested in, in exacerbating the tension. And the minister of uh, public security is a Netanyahu appointee. He's in charge of the police. Um, you know, I can't document this to you. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, people of my political ilk will tell you that, that Netanyahu has a clear interest in exacerbating the tension with respect to East Jerusalem. We'll get to Gaza in a second. Um, does that suit his particular political purposes? Sure. Does that suit Hamas's purposes? Sure. Um, does it, and, but then to complicate everything, if that weren't enough, you know, there are what we call mixed towns here, um, Jewish and Arab. And last night um, there were terrible riots in one of the towns called Lud LOD, which is outside Tel Aviv, in which Arab youth and Jewish youth really went at it. I mean, riot, riot. Um, I think at the moment, the, the, the playing field um, is primarily dominated by extremists on, on all sides. I, I don't see an adult in the room. Um, that said, as much as I absolutely loathe Netanyahu and I'm open about that, he's very, 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 very cautious. I don't think that his instinct is not to send the troops into Gaza. I think he understands that that would be a, a terrible thing. Um, on the other hand, he has his political interests also. Um, one of the other problems is the U.S. at the moment, if you ask me, is a non-player. Um, above and beyond the fact that I don't think there's really a relationship between Biden and, and Netanyahu. There's obviously no relationship between Biden and Hamas, obviously. And the Palestinian Authority is absolutely irrelevant. Um, I think the greatest role or the most impactful role the U.S. could play um, you know, if Biden were to call me and say, hey, Giora, how are you? What do I do? And I would say, Mr. President, you need to have your Secretary of State make four phone calls to the leadership of Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Egypt, and Turkey. I know the Turks are angry at the U.S. because of the recognition of the Armenian genocide. But at the moment, I think a combination of those four countries, Turkey, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt, are, I think, the only ones who can... Um, 
directly speak to Israel, directly speak to Hamas, because there's no direct negotiation conversation between Hamas and Israel. So it would be indirect, um, call it a form of, of indirect mediation because they would never bring them all to the table. And I think that sense of indirect mediation, um, I think is the, with, with the U.S. pushing, you know, pushing and nudging the parties, because the other countries here in the Middle East, I mean, Jordan's not, you know, relevant to anything at the moment. Um, and the, in many ways, perhaps the wild card is Iran, which is obviously a supporter of Hamas. Um, the Iranian-Israeli relationship focuses on one thing and one thing only, and that's the Israeli effort to um, prevent the Iranian nuclear industry, obviously. Um, and the rest of any other countries, whoever fantasizes about having a role here, um, England, Russia, uh, the UN, I mean, that quartet, not relevant to anything. Well, Amos, uh, please be safe. I don't know how long your your stay is this time. I think you just got back there. To the said, end of August. To the end of August. So you're there. And uh, uh, the reporting that I've been seeing is, is this uh, the brink of greater warfare? What is your concern there? I mean, you just talked a lot about why you think it wouldn't be wise, but... I don't see it. I think that nobody benefits from from an escalation beyond Gaza, Israel. Um, and it's also interesting to note that there's been no taking to the streets um, in the West Bank, Um which has been very interesting though. I have not seen any demonstrations in support in the streets of Jordan, Egypt, you know, the usual suspects. Um, I think this is localized. I think it will take, it's not going to, you know, end just like that. And that's why uh, I do think it's important for the U.S. to play an indirect role. And I think that it would, I very much hope it's, it's 20 to seven here in the evening. I know the government is meeting tonight, I think about, the next day or so they're going to have to decide about ground troops yes ground troops no because as i say again i'm very open about this as much as netanyahu is obviously not my cup of tea um 850 rockets is 850 rockets amos giora 850 rockets into israel and also as he said none of that ever goes unchallenged and the people caught in the middle literally in the crossfire as a result of this ongoing never-ending confrontation over there, Nick Burns. Yeah, 50, 60, 70 years, we've seen multi-generations of families living in what were refugee camps that are now um, established cities. It's fairly horrible. Doesn't seem to be any kind of short-term solution. Long-term, you've seen how many elections in Israel in the last, what are we on, the fourth or the fifth election? And still no it's government right now, as Amos was saying, that uh, that is still being sorted out. So before we close rallies and resources, let's get a legislative update. And our guest tonight is Sim Gill, Salt Lake County DA. Uh, just a programming note, Catherine Weller was unable to join us today, and she will be with us on Monday's show, Nick. Yeah, I we'll look forward to that conversation about the special session upcoming. But Sim Gill, Salt Lake County DA, welcome to the show. Oh, happy to be here. Nice to see you again, Nick and Laura. Oh, and everyone. Thank you. And thanks for Zooming with us. May, of course is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we've had this, what I think is a truly significant change to Utah law, went into effect just earlier in the month, May 5th. And this, this uh, HB 237 limits the circumstances when law enforcement officers are legally authorized to use deadly force, and just a qualifier, against individuals suffering from mental illness who might be in a crisis or are a danger only to themselves. So 
What's your take on this? Do you see true change here? This is something that, uh, you know, in the uh, example that we sent out last year with the 22 proposals uh, to as an open letter to the governor and all, every legislator on what change reform may look like when it comes to the intersection between police uh, uh, use of force and our communities. This was one of the things that we had talked about, and I really want to send not a shout out to Representative Daley Provost who uh, 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 shepherded this through and our office worked with it. And ironically, also getting uh, the fraternal order of police and, uh, and law enforcement agencies to actually agree on it as well. And the idea is very simple. You know, when there are people in crisis and who are suffering um, mental health issues, who wanted, whose focus is only self-harm, that maybe as a matter of policies, good state policy, that we don't engage in state action, where which facilitates that harm to them. And, uh, you know, which seems like a very common sense issue, but, uh, but it is really important because, you know, unfortunately, over the last 10 years, I've reviewed over 100 shootings, and I would say conservatively, when I talk to my colleagues from around the country, between 25 to at least 30% conservatively is an intersection with people who may be uh, suffering from mental health issues or in a state of crisis. And so what this is really going to, the impact is going to be is that it is going to, by codification, force law enforcement agencies to think about their tactics and practices and about how they're going to interact with these communities and also how they're going to engage. And this is going to actually be instructive for uh, police officers as well as safeguarding some of our most vulnerable members in our community. So this is a step in the right direction and hopefully it will change culture and practices over a period of time. Thank you. I mean, to me, it seems like this is something that's often referred to perhaps too cavalierly in the press as death by cop, right? Yeah, suicide by cop. Um, at the same time, though, you mentioned, and, and I think we should perhaps try to draw a distinction between training and education. We can train police all we want. We can mandate more trainings. But really, it seems like we need to educate both the public and, and law enforcement both that that there is a different and better way to handle this. And, and I'm wondering if you think that's why the police um, fraternal orders tended to be on board here, because police don't want to be mental health therapists anyway. Well, yeah, I think I think you're touching upon a much more broader issue, which okay. is, uh, you know, which is uh, should law enforcement be called upon to do all the things that we have by default expected them to do? And uh, and so when we have social workers or mental health professionals who would be better uh, suited, maybe they should lead that interaction with that citizen rather than law enforcement who can be there in a supportive capacity, but not as the lead agency. But what is really important about this is that this is really about uh, uh, making sure that law enforcement understand, uh, and this is going to force them to think in terms of strategic or tactical withdrawal from uh, rushing in on that when you're talking about somebody who's uh, self-harm. Because once you get into that situation, then it has a tendency to escalate from that in initial contact. So for them to sort of prospectively uh, think about what, that, what this is going to be, it's going to force different agencies to start training because law enforcement don't want to be involved in it. We certainly don't want citizens to be harmed. And by codification, which was a suggestion, now by codification is going to uh, actually help it operationalize that in a way that people can't ignore it. Sim, one in three, one in every three Americans today has a criminal record. And in late April, you, along with 79 other elected prosecutors and law enforcement leaders, started calling for an expansion of clean slate, uh, clean slate laws. We actually are one of only two states 
with an existing clean slate law. What would that mean across uh, the criminal justice system if this reform happened across the country? Well, first of all, your point about one in three is really critical, right? In the, in the sense that people have records, and it's what I call that scar, uh, scarlet letter of conviction. But its collateral consequences it can go in a disproportionate way. It impacts your uh, housing. It impacts your employment. It impacts your public assistance. It impacts your ability to have education as well as uh, uh, employment. So the collateral consequences of a conviction after you paid your debt to society, continues to, in a disproportionate way, uh, have that impact. So here's what the research shows. The research shows that if a person has gone uh, four years without having any contact with law enforcement, they are no more likely to reoffend than you or I or any other citizen out in the community. Yet the conviction continues to have this uh, collateral consequences, sometimes generationally. So calling us uh, out for uh, the different policymakers to say, how are we helping facilitate the removal of that record? Are we streamlining it? Are we creating institutional uh, uh, obstruction and making it more difficult. Those are all legitimate things where we can all benefit from it. And so uh, Utah has done a really good job. You know, we have expungement days with the with partnership with the DA's office and our community. Uh, my office actually went out and we looked uh, 17 years back over 100,000 cases and identified roughly about 14,000 individuals who had earned the right to have their cases be lowered one or two steps down so they can expedite their expungement. So so this is a win-win for everybody. Thank you. So I know, Sim Gill, we can't keep you very much longer, but I do want to ask quickly about bail reform. I think everyone's, uh, certainly all of our listeners, are familiar with the legislature passing, changing, modifying this notion of bail reform. So where are we at and is there any hope? We're, we're taking a, we took a step backwards. Uh, last yeah. year, House Bill 206 actually started to have the uh, conversation saying, we have two systems in this country. We have one for the rich and one for the poor. And it has nothing to do with public safety, but it's really about economics. And United States and the Philippines are the only two countries in the world that are for-profit bail industry. And it disproportionately impacts communities of color and poverty. And so, so House Bill 206 said, hey, if we simply uh, took away the idea of uh, defaulting to a cash bail model, uh, what would happen? And what the data showed us is that, for example, 88% of the people that were sitting in jail, when we operationalized that, we were able to keep them out of jail. And the ones who were the most risk to the community without compromising on public safety, 499 of those, we were able to 95% retention. So it was working. But then we had this fear mongering that happened between some of the other jurisdiction and law enforcement. And as a result, House Bill 220 repealed this wonderful effort that we had. And so it, it we took a step backwards. But as I've said before, and some of my colleagues from Davis County and Utah County, we represent about 80% of the prosecution. And we said it's working uh, and uh, we are not going to give up on it. So uh, our policy direction in our office is uh, we're going to file for pretrial detention and we're going to move away from the cash bail model, regardless of what the legislature does as a matter of my mm -hmm. policy direction to our, uh, to our prosecutors. Okay. So, I'm, I'm sad to hear that we're taking the step back. We had a, a glimmer of hope. They're meeting uh, uh, in committees now, uh, right now, uh, but I'm not holding my breath uh, because uh, what was working, and we had the data to prove it, they decided to rescind and repeal. 
What do you want folks to do? The public listening to this, uh, we have grassroots activists and community builders. Some of them have directed their ire at you and how you've handled protesters. And those cases are playing out as no. we speak. The attorney general just released a report, report saying that the police did nothing wrong in handling protesters in Cottonwood Heights last year. So uh, uh, maybe talk a bit about that as well as a call for folks to stay engaged, whether they like the outcome or the direction or not? Absolutely. First of all, I support protesters. I participated in uh, protests myself. It is a constitutional fundamental right that we have. Uh, uh, Protests draw attention, but the the key here is for us to go out and contact your legislators, your electeds, to get involved in the political process, especially when they're in session. And now, remember, they go into special session all the time. And bail reform is something that we can all get behind because it disproportionately impacts poor people in a way that is uh, absolutely has nothing to do with public safety. And, uh, and so I say get engaged, get involved, get politically involved, and especially, you know, it made some difference. Uh, this last legislative session, we didn't get all the things that we wanted to discuss about the criminal justice reform, but those uh, individuals who were active and actually reached out, they got audiences. So it does make a difference, and there was a lot of discussion that happened. I wish we had achieved more, but it was their voices and their presence there that made the difference. So please stay engaged politically, especially right now around the country when voter suppression and a desire to actually quiet your voices is being done in a formal and legal way. Uh, don't take it for granted. And Nick, d- don't forget redistricting is going on as we speak. Maps are coming out in our own state, Nick. Yeah, redistricting and of course our own legislature took away some of the power that our citizen initiative created. But DA Simgill, when uh, when some more of this shakes out, when bail reform comes back around, let's talk some more. And I really like you emphasizing the fact that people do speak up, do get heard. So thank you yeah. for taking time. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. And that is Rallies and Resources, Nick Burns. Oh, yeah, so much fun and always fun to talk to Sim Gill. Always fun to hear from Amos Giora and Natalie and all that she puts together for everyone. I think it's break time for a song, maybe, Laura? Yeah, I know you got a pick that you think uh, reflects kind of grassroots activists and community builders. Oh, yeah, and I was thinking of, you know, Palestinians pushing back, continuing to push back in Palestine and in Israel, all that's going on with criminal justice reform and upcoming, of course, on the show, uh, the the progressive wing, I want to say, keeping the heat on Biden in terms of the environment. So I think we ought to hear Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I won't back down. Right here on Radioactive, courtesy of KRCL 90.9. Living Color Utah is offering the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccination at a vaccine clinic and health fair Saturday, May 15th from 10 to 2 at the Redwood Recreation Center in West Valley. Pre-registration and info at livingcolorutah.com. Support for KRCL comes from the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast. Filmmaker Loki Mulholland and freedom writer Luvon Brown ask questions about race and racism in America. The Uncomfortable Truth is available on all podcast streaming apps. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and all month long, KRCL brings you Mental Health Mondays with tips and resources from local experts. Join us for the month as we help raise awareness about mental health. Find a list of resources at krcl.org.
Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Emily's Mixtape at 8 p.m. Get your Maximum Distortion at 10.30 and your Root Awakening at 3 a.m. and start your brand new day with John Florence at 6 a.m. You can catch up on the last two weeks of shows with our podcasting and archives online at krcl.org. And tonight, we now have a radioactive panel with community co-host Nick Burns. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to radioactive and what we do, you know, Laura, every weeknight at 6 p.m. with community activists, community builders, we've got a panel tonight. And the panel, um, and I'll introduce the folks and bring them in, and I want to have this discussion about the first 100 days of the Biden administration. You know, that we have this marker, this baseline that, that we love you know, mainstream media seems to enjoy kind of compartmentalizing things. And and I realize we're kind of guilty of that here. Too oh, yeah, we're, we're now into but, four months. <laughs> yeah, OK, yeah. So but nonetheless, it is useful to think about how the progressive environmentalist agenda is faring with Biden and his group in Washington, D.C. So joining us, Mese Gonzalez is the communications associate. He's at Heal Utah. Uh, Mesa, you've also worked uh, to address environmental racism. You've worked with Latinx nonprofits dealing with health effects from environmental issues. Now you're with Heal Utah, which, of course, is our local longstanding nonprofit that promotes renewable energy, promotes clean air, protects the public's health, uh, especially when it comes to nuclear and other toxic threats. So, Mesa, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Also with us, Rebecca Ashley, Utah chapter organizer, a community organizer for the Sierra Club. I just every time I hear the word organizer, I get excited. Utah chapter organizer, Sierra Club. Uh, Rebecca, Becca, you began as the climate action campaign rep at the Sierra Club. I think that's pretty cool. But now you work to support pathways for community involvement with the Utah chapter. And you also work with students and with schools on moving to 100% clean energy, which I think is, you know, way overdue. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Nick. So happy to be here. Oh, good, good. And also joining us, let me scroll down and get all this straight with all my screens open. Steve Block, welcome back to the show. You are the legal, legal director, rather, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be back. And, and I've got a thousand questions for all of you, and I'm sure I could talk the whole rest of the day and night on all of this. But to get going, Mesa, let's start with you. Um, Heal Utah works to promote clean air. And how does that grab you when it comes to environmental racism, that when it comes to clean air, we actually have to promote it? I mean, shouldn't that just be a given for everybody? It's kind of shocking to me. Yeah, definitely. So with clean air, there has to be like a lot of talk about how this is a disproportionate effect that's affecting lots of communities um, with some work that done in the past. And now with Heal Utah, um, it's something that, again, needs just to be addressed that there are these disproportionate effects from the, the effects with clean air. So we have, it seems like it's something that's super simple to just know like, oh, there's some areas that people will be having more effects, but for some reason, it's just not something that's... <laughs> Clicking with everybody. Well, if you, I mean, if you think about it, right, right across the Salt Lake Valley and the Wasatch Front, you know, the wealthy people live up on the hills. Mm -hmm. They're a thousand feet up for the most part. And you've got the people who are poorer and less fortunate and less able to leave in the lower parts where the inversions settle and the pollution's worse. I mean, it's it seems pretty clear 
Um, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, it does seem pretty good. There are also like some disconnects within like me being in the Latinx, I was in the Latinx nonprofit that we kind of dealt with the after effects of this. Like we helped get people with like uh, health programs and everything. There's kind of a, oh, well, there's not much that I can do. And there's also much of like, I'm, I need to have like these, sometimes they're working at these jobs that produce this um, air and they kind of have this connect where I have to stay at this place. I don't know what there is to do. And that's something that there's ongoing work to making sure that we can kind of break that down. Yeah. And, and real quickly before I move on, cause I want to hear from everybody, Heal Utah, your organization, are you on board and fairly supportive of how far Biden and his administration have been able to get so far? environmentally that is there's definitely a lot of praise that we can do with what he's doing okay. but there's also still like let's make sure to keep pushing for this and hold accountability to make sure it's not just oh i'm gonna do this let's make sure we keep pushing onto this and make sure that there's next steps after this yeah well said so becca ashley bring you in here biden's first hundred days um everybody wants a piece of president biden everybody's pushing whether it's immigration reform uh climate climate justice uh on and on and on and i wonder is there enough of biden is there enough of the biden administration to go around um can the sierra club faithfully expect a whole lot of action when we've still got people to vaccinate we've got immigration we've got a thousand things going on and certainly these are connected but I wonder what the Sierra Club is thinking about the 100 days. Yeah, yeah, great question. So, you know, I think we're optimistic. Um, okay. but, you know, there's also a lot of accountability and there's a lot to be revealed in terms of how some of these new plans and commitments will be rolled out. But we are, we're really excited and, you know, we have a lot of lost time to make up for given the past that was delicately years. put yeah <laughs> um and so yeah we've seen a lot of positive actions already you know since the start of biden's presidency he's really taken steps to make climate change a priority of the administration he's you know signed a series of executive orders to address climate change including having the u.s rejoin the paris climate agreement which is the largest international effort to curb global warming. Um, and under his leadership, the US, the US has just pledged um, to cut economy-wide carbon footprint in half by 2030. So um, cutting our carbon footprint in half of 2005 levels is a huge deal. Um, and we're really excited about that. Um, and it's going to support longer term goals to transition to a clean energy economy. So um, a lot of positive things happening. And again, a lot of a lot of work to be done to make up for the past four years. So let me just reiterate that for folks. Mm -hmm. the, the goal by 2030, I mean, that's only about nine years away, is to cut U.S. carbon emissions to half of 2005. Correct. That is stunningly optimistic. Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done to reach those goals. There's going to be a lot of changes with our infrastructure, um, with our energy sector, within the transportation sector. There's a lot of different pathways to, to meet this goal. As you mentioned, we don't yeah. have a lot of time left. So 
Um, it's going to so, take a lot of collaboration, I think, from folks working together across federal, state, local, and tribal governments to, to mobilize and, and figure out the best way um, to approach this and to meet those goals. Okay, thank you. Steve Bach, bring you in here, Legal Director of Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Uh, when it comes to the Biden administration in the first 100 days, I think all of our listeners have seen and heard about the White House's quote, America the Beautiful initiative. Um, and this initiative is to reach the U.S. goal of conserving 30% of the country's lands and the country's waters by 2030. Again, 11, you know, less than 10 years, nine years to get that done. Um, and I noticed this America the Beautiful initiative is signed by secretaries from Department of the Interior, Department of the Agriculture, Department of Commerce, and the Council on Environmental Quality. Um, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, I would imagine you're behind this. Do you see it as achievable? Uh, well, I think we see the overall goal of 20, of uh, 30 by 30 okay. as, as essential. Um, I mean, it's sort of a non-negotiable point. Like we're talking survival of the planet type level and, um, you know, sort of an all hands on deck to reach that goal. The America the Beautiful preliminary report um, sets that important goal. I think we have, as you heard from uh, from the other two folks in the panel, I think concerns about follow through. Um, if yeah. you read, if you skim through the report, the Interior Department, uh, the Bureau of Land Management, the largest public land management agency in the country, isn't mentioned. And it's clear that the BLM uh, has a role to play in how do we reach those goals? Um, you know, uh, so we're hopeful that the stage is set. We're hopeful the president, it, it seems the president is saying the right things. It's the follow through from the people who he's appointed. Um, yeah. it, it feels to me that a uh, case in point would be the restoration of our monuments, right? Grand Staircase, Escalante, Bears Ears National Monument. We absolutely expect that's going to happen. Um, we're hopeful it's going to happen in the very near future. I mean, that's just one example of the follow through we need to see um, from some of the initial positive talk. Yeah, I mean, I know it's really hard to to put all this at the, at the feet of 100 days. And it seems equally auspicious to just think about the next nine years. But when it comes to the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, it seems to me a lot of people forget that when it comes to Bears Ears, the original Bears Ears, the 1.9 million acres, that was public land already. Um, <laughs> oh, right. I mean, there's a. I mean, it's. <laughs> I mean, there's the, a little the bit messaging of is problematic from, I want to say, the right, but. Again, I think you're well saying that these are all the right words. Um, can everybody collectively sort of keep the administration's feet to the fire, to use a phrase? Yeah, yeah I think that's right. I mean, with regard to the monuments, the counter narrative, uh, I think you hear from the congressional delegation, from the governor's office on down, that somehow this was a land grab, um, that this was unlawful. I mean, nothing's further from the truth. As you said, these were federal public lands yeah. uh, to begin with. Of course, you know, we need to reckon with the fact that these are tribal lands originally. And, you know, Native American voices are, are, are essential to 
the path forward for the management of these places. But, you know, the way things stand now, these are federal lands. This isn't a land grab. Uh, the Congress has a law called the Antiquities Act, which allows the president to establish these monuments. That's what President Obama, President Clinton did, uh, what Trump did in dismantling those monuments was clearly unlawful. And, you know, we need to set things straight and move forward. Well said. Rebecca, I'll bring you back in here. Uh, it seems to me, you know, it's easy to talk about national issues and it's easy to look at what's going on nationally. And it's certainly true that public lands belong to everyone. But I wonder what you and you all at the Sierra Club think about what's going on here in Utah, because action here when it comes to the climate seems, um, I guess I would use the word markedly stalled. Yeah, I I think that's to put it nicely. Um, <laughs> Thanks, yeah, I'm mean, trying. <laughs> we've definitely, you know, seen some strides taken to advance climate solutions on a state level. Um, but at the end of the day, Utah still doesn't have a statewide emissions reduction goal. Um, and that's something that I think we're really lacking and that, um, you know, we are committed to advocating for at the Sierra Club. We need to see legislation that commits to these em emission reduction goals and, and policies here in Utah that will support um, climate action. Um, it's, it's essential. Thank you. This is Radioactive on your Community Connection 90.9 FM. We are here every weeknight at 6 p.m. with community activists, community builders. Joining us tonight, Rebecca Ashley, Utah Chapter Organizer at the Sierra Club, Mesa Gonzalez, Communications Associate with Heal Utah, and Steve Block, who is the, I want to get the title right, Legal Director at the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Mesa, with Heal Utah, you all have been on the show many, many times over the years, everything from toxic waste dumps and, and radioactive materials being dumped in the state. And I wonder what you could, what you could, I wanted to say pile on, but that's not really fair. I wonder about Heal Utah and your activism when it comes to what's stalled here in the state, the lack of active movement. We get a lot of talk about cleaning the air and everybody should do the right thing. But again, I don't see much happening. And what does Heal Utah think? Um, we definitely can agree that sometimes it seems it, it seems very like stalled with everything that we're yeah. for a lot of these issues. And it has to do a lot with um, like sometimes it's just the education of a lot of these things. There is things that are being spread around that may not be true with different issues and different topics where we get the wrong side of um, these issues. So that's a big one that kind of he kind of goes into is making sure that we're out here providing these resources where it can be fact-based instead of, well, let's not do that because of this kind of a thing, if that makes sense. So that's a huge part of it as well. So I wonder about, you know, when people say, you know, everything is local, you know, you are a local group, but yet talking to Rebecca and talking to others, President Biden has has our country rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. And I wonder about Heal Utah and, and how your work sort of spreads out or dissipates in terms of what's needed to be done internationally. I mean, certainly methane pollution, um, it might be from a well here, but it goes everywhere. And I wonder, 
how can you connect the, the local with the national or, or the world, I want to ask? Uh, just with the different issues that we talk about, it's not, if we solve like clean air here in Utah, it's not going to do much if the whole nation is still struggling with air. So but, but kind of just you, pushing on with that point. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. But, but, but does that make the sales pitch harder? You know, it's one thing to tell somebody, let's let's drive cleaner, let's take the bus because you're choking and your lungs are burning when you walk the dog and the ozone is high. But it's another thing to say, gosh, it won't matter what we do because China will keep burning coal. And you do hear that pushback. It's like, well, why should we care? Because nobody else cares. And I and I wonder if that's a dilemma that local groups like yours, you know, has to face. We do definitely face that where it does seem like, oh, well, if Utah does everything right, what about even like the next state next to us or the the nation or even how you say with China? But it is a good way to remind them like there's steps that we have to do. We have to take initiative. So if we all just said, oh, well, let's not deal with it because China's the one in (laughs) in doing everything. There's not going to be that change. And then later urge to get China to the point to uh, work with us with these issues. I'm just concerned because what I see nationally and and throughout the state, even on something what ought to be so basic as wearing a mask, people get real selfish and people get real self-concerned. And it's basically F you to everybody else. And I do have that concern about the environment. Becca, Ashley, bring you back in here. Sierra Club, I mean, you're huge. You're with the Utah chapter, but you do have that advantage of, of being national. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've seen a lot of folks mobilized leading up to the election. Um, People have been sick of the politics and the corruption of the past administration and um, people have been mobilized and they want to take action to to support sound policies. Um, And so I think that, um, you know, makes me a lot more hopeful (laughs) Um, seeing people come together. I think that's ultimately where we're going to make the most change. Okay. Steve Block, bring you back in here. I know we've only got a few minutes left, but but I want to specifically ask you about Senator Durbin has reintroduced uh, Senate Bill 1535, America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. There are a number of co-sponsors. They all, I notice, are Democrats. But this, uh, this could affect 8.4 million acres of public wilderness in Utah. And I just, I, you know, want to let you expound and be excited about that. <laughs> well, it is an exciting time for us, right? I mean, America's Red Rock Wilderness Act is the flagship bill that Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, working with Sierra Club, working with Natural Resources, Defense Council, and many others um, promote, uh, uses the touchstone for uh, uh, for SUA's work in Utah for how to protect the Red Rock landscape. And um, We're incredibly grateful to have the support of somebody like Senator Durbin, uh, second highest ranking Democrat in the Senate now, uh, and are hopeful that with his leadership, um, we'll move the bill forward in this Congress. Uh, You know, the protection of these lands in Utah would have a meaningful benefit for fighting the climate crisis. I mean, you know, we know that the protection of these vast, undisturbed landscapes has real benefit, uh, not only to, I think, your soul when you go visit them, but to the climate and to uh, literally the 
the salvation of humanity. You know, we're not going to be able to solve the climate crisis unless we're able to conserve and protect the wildest landscapes in our state and around the country. And sometimes I want to say protecting it is just leaving it alone. Real, exactly. real quickly, we've only got a couple of minutes left, Steve, for folks who want more information about SUA, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, and what you do. Right. If you go to our webpage, which is simply www.suwa.org, and we're on all the social media uh, platforms as well. Thank you, Steve Block, Legal Director of Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. May say real quickly, you've got an event May 28th. Heal Utah, I should say, has an event. Uh, People-powered pub crawl. Yes, we're going to be having a uh, for bike month, we're gonna we wanted to do something to kind of connect with everyone. Uh, we're finally being able to COVID friendly <laughs> do some events in person. So this event is just gonna be a bike crawl or just we didn't want to exclude anyone. So if you have roller skates, scooters, or if you just want to walk, you can come okay. in and kind of name to power people. And you can come down to um I think we're starting up at the International Peace Gardens gardens okay. and just gonna go around to different bars and talk about the ways to um, fix up our streets with bikes and to make sure there's safe routes for everyone and how this affects our environment. And oh, very good. Mesa Gonzalez, communication associate at Heal Utah. We'll get your link and your URL and all in the in the show notes, but a shout out to your website. Get to faith. It's going to be healutah.org and you can find all the info there. Pretty simple. And Becca Ashley, Utah Chapter Sierra Club, you've got all kinds of partners. What should we give a shout out to for what you're doing? Yeah, I would say follow us on social media at Sierra Club Utah, and you can learn more about how to get involved in some of the other campaigns and work that we're doing uh, by visiting sierraclub.org slash Utah. Thank you very much. Again, may say and Becca and Steve, thanks for giving us time being on our panel talking about our president, 100 days, and uh, in effect, how to keep the heat on. Laura, that's the show. I know everyone can check the notes for all the links and get the panel's organizations and check out all the upcoming events. Always a pleasure. Excellent. And a week from tonight, when you are back as community co-host, I'm really excited for next week's show. Catherine Coles, poet and writer, and her new book, The Stranger I Become, on walking, looking, and writing. And I like that you can read The Stranger I Become in a couple different ways. Yeah, exactly. And I've got a copy that I'm uh, reading currently, and I look forward to that next week. I'm Laura Jones. I'm Nick Burns. Democracy Now! is next. In honor of our panelists and because it's such a beautiful day, we do have time for one more song. So here's a little XTC grass on KRCL. KRCL.